Hello and welcome to the Coffee Gals podcast, brought to you by the team behind the Ottawa Coffee Fest. Bonjour et bienvenue au podcast Café, présenté par l'équipe derrière le Café Fest Ottawa. My name is Mel. Et mon nom est Jen. Every few weeks, we'll be speaking with different people within the industry, so you can get to know more about your favorite local roasters and coffee shops. Let's get started. Today we're here with Kevin Jonis, operator of Lulo Coffee, a new nano roastery here in Ottawa. Kevin's passion for coffee started while traveling to countries like Costa Rica and Colombia. Lulo's mission is to bring the coffee community closer by offering complete transparency in all aspects of coffee. Their goal is to keep the conversation going by continuing to serve unique and delicious coffees with inspiring stories behind them. Good morning, Kevin. How are you today? Good morning, Jen. I am doing very well. How about yourself? Oh, doing great. Yeah, thank you for joining us today. Uh, so tell us about Lulo. Um, how did you get started? Um, what, what's the story behind that? Oh, okay, so Lulo has been something of an idea for mine, uh, of mine for quite some time. So throughout uh, my, various, my various travels uh, into Central and South America, uh, at some point, I realized that uh, almost everywhere that I was going was completely filled with coffee. And so it warrants a look. And so I began to learn everything I can uh, about it. And I did that while staying in the countries that produce it. So uh, I would visit producers on their farm. I worked, I, I, did a, I did a volunteer stint in a roastery in Colombia. I, I worked as um, an intern in, uh, in maybe the coolest sourcing company in all of Costa Rica, uh, which is called Selva Coffee. And so uh, there's where I really learned quite a lot about how to cup and profile coffees and uh, really set me off on, on, this, on this mission of, of mine, I guess. And uh, earlier this year, I had something of a, a, a grave accident that... Um, I guess, gave me some new perspectives and I decided to uh, go ahead and buy my first roaster in February. And so, yeah, that was just as the pandemic was starting, but uh, I, I am doing my best to carry on in any way possible. Uh, so you work mainly out of uh, Arlington, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. So um, I'm actually uh, a fairly new business. I only registered in, in July and at right at the beginning I was kind of running it out of uh out of a garage. Um, right. That's yeah. a common thing. Yeah, or... It's almost <laughs> getting to be like a standard I think. Yeah. For, uh, for <laughs> so I'm just you know falling in line. Um, and uh, pre-pandemic I had started to roast and just play around and and um, and, and well really learn on the machine that I have now. And so I had been reaching out to, to a few employees at Arlington 5 to, to try different roasts and give me feedback and stuff. And we were able to keep that going kind of throughout the pandemic. Actually, I think it was, I think the pandemic had just hit. And then I actually was forced to reach out via Instagram, um, which, which worked out to be pretty, pretty good. And then um, sort of over, over a little bit of time, um, it became clear that our 
sort of more fundamental values really do align. And uh, it would be a great kind of opportunity to, to um, make the best out of these strange times. Um, yeah, I've got a little Lulo corner in, uh, in A5, which has been cool. uh, incredible. So much fun. All the, all the staff there and the owner, Jesse, are really great. Um, and it's really nice to be able to roast the coffee and then just kind of see it being served and everything True. like that. Really, really, really cool. Mm-hmm. Um, almost all of my work with coffee has been done in, um, in Colombia and in Costa Rica. Okay. And so honestly, not that much time in, in, in coffee shops and stuff like that. I've been in hospitality for quite a long time, uh, but just working generally in uh, restaurants and bars rather than uh, rather than in coffee shops. So um, as far as like things like recipe development and uh, feedback on, on that kind of stuff, it's been really, really fruitful, I would say. Awesome. And uh, what's what's the story behind the name? Do you have a Oh, yeah. yeah. The, uh, so the name itself. So Lulo is actually a fruit that grows in Colombia. And in some of my first experiences on farms, particularly in southern Colombia and Huila, it's a department, um, the lulo trees were growing right alongside the coffee trees. And uh, so the, the lulo fruit itself is actually usually made into a juice. And the juice is nice and sweet and a little bit acidic, just like my coffee. Oh, cool. So I figured the name fit really well together and I will be focusing a lot on Colombia in the, in the coming wall well, right now and in the coming years. So it really kind of just ties in. And additionally, Alulo in Ethiopia is the word that describes a ripe coffee cherry ready for picking. You really thought this out. I like it. So you mentioned that, you know, it kind of your coffee journey sort of started with your, your travels to all these countries. So with the, the pandemic, has that you know, obviously travel is restricted right now. So how are you kind of still making those those connections with, with people? And how has the pandemic affected that? Right. Um, so I'm, I guess, in a sense, lucky in the way that I made all of these sort of connections and, and lived these experiences previous to the pandemic. And even before the pandemic, I would organize these meetings like via social media via Instagram, just message someone on Instagram and go to their farm. Uh, and so, I mean, I just carried on these same platforms uh, with communication, usually generally WhatsApp. So we would have like send voice messages, uh, text messages, or have video calls. Um, and I would say between everyone that I'm working with, communication is very strong. Um, uh, especially Irvin, you'll see Irvin's, he has a coffee on the menu called Irvin Semi-Washed. And um, I talk with him at least weekly, I guess. Uh, I just spoke with him earlier today. So all in all, that is to say, um, in this short term, at least, it's, it's not affected the, the daily communications, although I am looking to go to visit as soon as possible. And would there be any uh, plans to expand, like maybe like have more producers or what's like, are you... Um only like concentrating on on your two currently i'll actually be looking to increase my volume with the producers i'm currently working with 
Uh, now that being said, uh, there there are a few more producers that uh, I'll be working with. Like we're, it's in the works already to get their coffee here, right. um, particularly from Costa Rica. But uh, expansion into to more countries, let's say, into more producers definitely comes after I reach a certain level of consistency that I can commit to uh, with the current producers. That's where, for me, the meaning lies rather than always the new coffee or always the new country or something like that. Uh, it's, it's, yeah, more like people focused, I suppose. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, so, you know, you mentioned like you source coffees, um, where, you know, the people, you know, there's a connection, there's a story behind it. So meaning that you maintain as much contact with the producers as possible. So why do you think that's important for you and how does that affect your selection process? Um, so the, the communication is important just to, um, be on the same page as far as ordering or, and, um, and for me, um, cup profile. So the cup flavors, um, what I am trying to do is be able to reach a level of trust that I have with everyone that I'm working with so that I'm able to, at least to a certain extent, trust what they say about um, how, uh, what a coffee tastes like and how much it should cost. Because again, I'm trying to make this like people forward and, um, I'm, I'm, I'm trying to take their cue as to, yeah, like their pricing and, and their, their flavor profile, what, wh- how they envision the coffee should taste so that I can work toward that when I receive it for my actual sourcing. It really is just like the producer. So I'm, I'm, I'm very unlikely to, to turn down a coffee from any one of them. In, in this sense, it's a, um, pretty fortunate because I was able to meet everyone that I'm currently buying coffee from in a, like before I was buying coffee. So, um, just in a more friendly manner. So I, I could, you know, get a sense of who they are and, and, and them for me too. And, uh, the, so the trust is there, um, before the business, which I think is pretty cool. Yeah, it's definitely an important step in the process that that trust component. I mm-hmm. that, that's awesome that you're definitely maintaining that. Um, so I I know you're still kind of relatively new to the to the Ottawa coffee scene. Can you tell us about some of the different roasts that you have available right now? Yeah, sure. So all of the coffees that I offer are single farm, single producers, um, and my roasting style is is one that I, I believe to be as like low intervention as possible. Now that generally leans on, on the lighter side of roast light and bright. And I, that's definitely where I want to be. Um, I, all my roasts, uh, have a balance of acidity, sweetness, body. And, um, I think it's all about unlocking each flavor that's unique to each coffee and so that again actually goes back into the trust uh into the producers to for them to be leading me on on the on the right path and so i think that like it's almost collaborative in that sense and uh i think that's um important to my roasting style uh, and so for the current coffees that i have now one that i've got on hand is uh is called urban semi-washed and like i mentioned urban's a, a fellow i keep in in regular touch with his family is, uh, well, they are NASA indigenous from 
the Cauca Department of Colombia, more specifically the Tierra Dentro, Dentro region, and they have a single hectare farm and they do all of their processing from start to finish. So that means they are planting, they are cultivating, they are harvesting, drying, milling, shipping, exporting, all to me. Or, well, uh, not just me, but uh, to me as well. That coffee is my more kind of classic offering. Uh, it has a nice, rich kind of chocolate body with almost like a little, little bit of nutty flavor in there, uh, kind of topped off by some spice fruit or like red fruit uh, notes. And it's what A5 uses as their house espresso. And uh, yeah, it's, uh, it goes over pretty well, I'd say. Uh, another one that I've got is called Wilfredo's Catura. So Wilfredo is uh, a producer that I actually met three years ago. Uh, he invite, he welcomed me into his home for uh, like a week when I was first learning. So he, he taught me a lot of like the basic stuff. It's a single varietal Catura. And he has just started in, onto this journey of fermentation, which a few of my coffees... Uh, are, are kind of representing a, a higher level of that, but he's starting to, to, to experiment. And um, it's, it's making his, his already fantastic coffee turn into something totally, totally different. So um, when it's brewed as an espresso or like AeroPress, like immer- immersion brewing, it, it comes out like this dark chocolate and, and orange, like, like a Terry's chocolate orange almost. And, and when it's brewed, brewed as filter, like a pour over, it has like um, this sort of, I find it's like a date kind of sweetness, like a really rich honey kind of date sweetness. Um, one, actually the two other ones that I have is called Jamie's Tipica from uh, an area of Colombia called Boyacá. That area accounts for 1% of total coffee production of the, of the entire country. So it's not a region that you'll see too frequently uh, in Canada. And so um, that's a classic wash coffee. I have it on a particularly light roast and it's extremely easy to brew. It's a very, very ideal option for people just starting out into specialty coffee who are looking for something a bit brighter, uh, a bit more fruity, a bit sweeter. Um, and because it gives you all of that without the fuss, like it's very easy to brew successfully, let's say. And then the last one that's also almost out is a very interesting coffee and uh, it's called La Sierra Verano Tropical. It comes from actually within the city limits of Medellin in Colombia is where it's grown. Basically, there's a really, really big story with that coffee I'm not going to get into, but um, basically this coffee represents a, a fairly advanced level of fermentation. So what they do is harvest the coffee and then pulp it. So uh, they're, yeah, they're taking the, the beans out of the cherries and then all of the beans are placed into plastic tanks and filled with water to ferment. And in this case, they, they, they ferment the coffee for 170 hours with a temperature around, averaging around 16 degrees Celsius. And what that does is encourages the growth of certain kinds of bacteria, namely lactic bacteria, which then in turn um, creates different sorts of acids. So lactic, citric, and malic acids. And the final cup really represents that quite nicely. It's um, 
full of tropical fruit flavors like pineapple, mango, some strawberry, definitely a lot of floral, uh, floral notes in there too. Uh, and when it cools down, it's almost indistinguishable from iced tea. And those are my coffees right now. Wow. Yeah, that's awesome. I, I'm, I'm glad that you kind of took us through like what individual notes that you get, um, the flavor profiles for all of them. I think it's, uh, it's yeah. great over audio to hear what it tastes like. You mentioned uh, like two of your, I guess, two of your producers, they kind of experiment with um, fermentation. Is that something like that's very common? Mm-hmm. Yes, I, I would say uh, in, in some, to some degree, it is actually very common in, in coffee uh, to have for the, the cherries themselves to have some type of, um, whether it's really small fermentation or not, because what happens a lot of the time is, so imagine like uh, it's harvest time and all, all the pickers are out in the field doing like a, a really hard task and picking all of the, all of the cherries, the perfectly ripe ones. And then, and then basically centralizing all of them into like a truck or something to bring them to get pulped. Now, oftentimes that is uh, sort of already in the evening or, you know, it could be like pretty late at night. And so they'll just leave the coffee till the morning and then pulp it. And so then that's 12 hours or so that it could be potentially fermenting quite a lot. Um, now, usually for for my purposes, like my website purposes or, or bag purposes or anything like that. I, I'll use the word fermentation when it's intentional. So um, when it's like done with a goal in mind, because otherwise then you would consider most coffee fermented. But right. um, it's always pretty eye-opening to, to be exposed in coffee in such a way. Uh, like, I mean, on, on a farm or like on a processing mill, because yeah, it's like, a, it's a beverage that we have all the time. And uh, I mean, it's just interesting to, to get to know these little intricacies and little details that, that really do get lost if you're, if you're not uh, paying attention. So mm-hmm. I hope to bring like more information like that here, right? Like, um, and kind of like bridge that gap between the two places. Absolutely. Yeah, I think, uh, I think our listeners are obviously going to he- learn a lot through the process, like just these little steps uh, that changes the, the, the flavor profile significantly. So just uh, one last thing before we, uh, we let you go, but you shared something on social media um, a few days ago that caught our attention. It said that good coffee is a human right. Uh, that statement can be interpreted in so many ways. So what does it mean to you? And, um, and what were some key highlights from, from that conversation? Yeah. So first of all, I would just like to say that I think that the, the statement itself is very well intentioned and it's very, you know, very ideal maybe. Um, but for me personally, when I, when I think of, of the implications of it, I kind of think, um, okay, so if, if coffee is a human right, then that means it must be accessible for everybody on the, on the planet. And that means the cost couldn't be that much. And so part, uh, one, of, uh, one of my driving kind of uh, forces here is that co- people should be paying more for their coffee, whether that's a roaster buying green coffee or consumers uh, buying a cup. I think it's very important that we start to do that. And I don't think that that statement really helps that. Honestly, when I, when I think about the statement, I think 
that maybe it could be changed a bit and it could be good coffee for human rights. Uh, and that, that would be more, more like kind of, uh, more direct or more of like a, like a call to action or something like that. Um, but yeah, what, what do you, what do you ladies think about it? To me, it, it goes back to, to me, the, the source, you know, the people who work on these form these farms and them having like good quality of life and fair pay and, and everything like and the good working conditions and stuff and and knowing that those human rights are being met at that farm level um when you when you start to know more of what goes into that cup um there's there's so much involved um from from where it comes from and the whole processing and everything um and i i do think yeah human right you know making sure the people on the, the farms fair treatment on on their end to me is that's how i interpreted i love a good coffee don't get me wrong but i think it's more it goes to the source i think the standard is that the coffee should be inexpensive but that kind of laid the groundwork as 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 something that perhaps shouldn't have started in the first place um if we had started from you know fair pay, like a place where everyone's being treated equally, fairly, etc., then that would be the standard and everyone would just accept it. Um, but now we're kind of approaching it from the other side. So now it's like, okay, we're imposing change perhaps on people that are used to paying a bit less. But at the end of the day, you just have to think it out yourself and, you know, just make a decision. Obviously, there's obvi- there's always so much on social media, and and you know so many people are trying to catch your attention. But like this com- this particular conversation is, I think, one that's worth having, right? Like it, and I'm glad that you're kind of trying to bring that forward a little bit more, um, and and hopefully you can keep sort of generating these these really getting people to think on 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 their coffee further. I think that's so important. I'm so happy that uh, that the conversation piece resonated with both of you um, because I, I will be in, including things like that as much as I can. Uh, and, and I hope only in a, a very open and conversational sense, because I think uh, only through conversation uh, will we start to kind of maybe change our perspective a little bit. And that of course goes for me too. Um, and uh, yeah, and we can all learn something, you know? Awesome. Well, thank you again for joining us today, Kevin. So before you go, can you just let people know where they can learn more about Lulo Coffee? Yeah. So you, uh, in, in Ottawa, you can find Lulo at Arlington 5 uh, and also on my website, lulocoffee.ca um, via Instagram as well, or send me an email from the website. Either one is fine. Um, yeah. Thanks so much for having me on. This is, uh, uh, this is a wonderful opportunity. Thank you so much for listening. Our podcast is available on our website at ottawacoffeefest.ca. Tell your friends and share the love. Je m'appelle Jen et nous sommes les cafés. My name is Mel and we're the Coffee Gals. Thank you and stay tuned for our next episode coming out in a few weeks. Until then, keep supporting your local roasters and coffee shops.